Welcome to the 66th episode of the ABC Pod, the adult book club, where we drink and we read things. This episode features No Country for Old Gnomes by Delilah S. Dawson and Kevin Hearn. Discussion of the book starts at the 10th minute. Spoilers are between the 48 and 1 hour 16 minute marks. We discuss the setup of the book as well as what we discovered to be the more enjoyable way to appreciate it. We also deep dive the characters in our party and talk about the many side quests our party endures. We finish with our usual segments and a mini pod within a pod discussing Beartown and Frederick Backman. So with that, let's hear it. Well, Taja and Russell, they both love reading books. Taja and Russell, they both love reading books. Well, what do you do when you share such love? Well, you start a club, you start a club, an adult book club, an adult book club, and a podcast. Welcome to the 66th episode of the ABC Pod, the adult book club with Taja and Russell. I am Russell. She is Taja. Hey. Hello, and welcome back, everybody, to the podcast where we drink and we read things. And on this episode, we read No Country for Old Gnomes by Delilah S. Dawson and Kevin Hearn. But before we get to that little fantasy comedy, it has been two weeks. Taja, what's been going on in your neck of the woods? Not a lot. I had a little bit of a cold that kept me out of work for a couple of days. It was not COVID. I, let's see, had some road association drama. Just like if you buy a house, don't buy a house on a private road in the country. Or two private roads. Or put two private roads, especially that. Although the one doesn't give me as much trouble as the other. Anyway, had to have an emergency meeting because the road is shit, because one of the neighbors keeps salting dirt roads when they shouldn't be, and he's terrible, and then I have to hold his hand and tell him how email works because he's a dum-dum. Anyway, that's been fun. I got back into crocheting creatures. I crocheted a little pig for this woman that my mom bowls with on her bowling league. She's like 80-something years old, and she's been collecting pigs, like any form of pig, since she was six. So she's got like a fuck ton of pig paraphernalia and she's, she just see, I've never met her, but I was like, I must make her a pig. So I did. And it came out really cute and I'm very excited about it. Um, went bowling for the first time this season, this season, (laughs) the bowling season. (laughs) (laughs) And then we just went axe throwing yesterday for my dad's like birthday celebration. That was fun. And I got my eyes checked and got a new prescription. So I'm getting some new glasses. I'm excited. This is a new pair, but I'm getting two other pairs. Um, Costco for the win. Yeah. And then we had to take the Honda in again. So the situation from before was not a transmission thing. It was that bracket thing, which was great. Super easy fix. Not very expensive. And then we were going out to get some Little Caesars pizza because we're trash pandas. And um, all of the error lights were coming on like literally everything was like power steering's not working brakes not working transmission not working. like everything was not working and yet the car was still driving so we're like probably we shouldn't drive this and then the next day we like arranged to have it brought back to the dealership to just check it out luckily it was just a broken wire so they had to just replace the wire because it was just throwing all sorts of errors also not a super expensive fix so we were <laughs> but there was a moment where we were like fuck yeah that is that is scary when yeah it's a christmas tree on the dashboard that's not really working. yeah not not a pleasant scenario sure. but um yeah so that's like two close calls with the honda lately i think 
if we can coast with that for a while, we'll be good. Yeah, I hate that because then you start second guessing your beard. Mm -hmm. And that's like the, when you first lose trust in a car, it's the saddest day. Well, and so the first time when it was just the bracket issue, our regular mechanic, which we only take our cars there because it's like within walking distance of my work. So it's yeah. very convenient. I can bring the car and walk back to work and pick it up later. Meanwhile, the dealership is not conveniently located. So when he was like, oh, it's this transmission issue. You should take it to the dealership. We were like, that sucks. But now I'm like, it also sucks because I don't feel like I can trust bringing it to you for all of the things. Right. Yeah. So that's a bummer. Adulthood. Woo! I know. It really sucks. Yeah. Yes, indeed. For my two weeks, I got a little cold and it turns out it is COVID. Woo! So I've been in isolation. This is day five for me in my house because we're trying to keep it from my wife. Uh, neither one of us had had it yet. So almost that's a four a year streak completely down the shitter. So that's uh, that's great. Uh, you know, thankfully, I've got a ton of vaccines in me and everything else in my blood system. So it, everything's been mild. The biggest thing has been just trying to keep it away from Amanda. So uh, and having to wear a mask sucks. Like your walls don't go all the way to the ceiling. <laughs> yes, there's no secure place in this house because none of the walls actually finish. <laughs> The, the great, I thought of that as a consideration. You know, I'm going to go back and beat the shit out of 21-year-old me. Tell him to put it up <laughs> to the ceiling, you idiot. Uh, but that's, the, you know, part of the issue with post and beam homes, the things you don't really think about, because walls don't actually matter. It's all held yeah. up by the frame, so. Unless you get COVID. <laughs> Unless you get, you know, that disease that's coming 10 years down the road. Yeah. So. <laughs> a little shitty. Like I said, I could have went in the basement, but it is winter. Uh, so that's not really a great option as we don't have a heat source down there. So this is what it is. Uh, but we're almost, you know, we're halfway through and now I get to move from isolation to, I forget the other word, where like I can kind of be around people. But the next uh, stage. <laughs> yeah, just have to wear a mask for longer. But that's fine. It is what it is. Just a real bummer because I was doing yeah. so well. But I did get COVID because I went to a ice hockey tournament. Well, I went to an ice hockey tournament, a pond hockey tournament, and a street hockey tournament broke out because this winter <laughs> can suck my balls. This has been a friggin' nightmare. I think we've skated on our rink five times now, including the two times I skated by myself. The weather has been shit. As soon as it actually gets like a deep freeze, it's 45 and raining and just fucks up everything you did anyway. When I came home from the tournament, I had to clean off some ice or some snow off the rink and I broke through it because it oh. had gotten too soft um, oh, no. weekend's temperatures. So it's building itself back up just to, you know, be 45 next <laughs> Thursday anyway. Yeah. So Poxitani Phil, also fuck you. Oh, didn't see a shadow for the first time in years. Six weeks till spring or whatever. <laughs> I digress a lot. The tournament did not work out how we wanted it to. This is something we signed up for in August. It's something that just weather has not been a friend the last couple of years or COVID. So they haven't really been able to get it off and it kind of sucked, but we made the best of it. We had the Spofford Knights with our one goal. Our goal was to get one goal in the whole tournament when it was supposed to be on ice. When it moved to street hockey, we said we should be able to get two goals. And then after the first game, we decided we should get one goal every game. And we did achieve that in seven games. We won none of them. Well, technically, some of us won the seventh game because we split up our team with another team. So oh. half of us won a game and half of us didn't. <laughs> um, but also, I think it bears mentioning that y'all were playing against teams that were in a higher class caliber than you were. So like... Yeah. Really, you did win. Honestly, the the bouncy ball and the street definitely leveled helped up. in your favor. 
<laughs> but the things these people were doing, even with that ball, like we were having trouble catching it out of the air. Our hand eye was so garbage, and they're like scooping it with their stick. It was, of course, they are. it was impressive. And then the, when we were playing the second day, one of the teams we played three times were like, "Hey, why don't we go three on three so there's more room?" We're like, "Sure," but what that meant was they could be more skilled, and there weren't as many of us to get in the way of their goals. Right. So, I think they had more fun. I will say. Like I mentioned, I think we won the Spirit Award. We really made a name for ourselves. We do plan on going back next year, hopefully with ice and less COVID. So, Although the other thing that I think bears mentioning is that all of you got away unscathed from like severe injury because it wasn't on ice and some of y'all hadn't. Very <laughs> true. And I, will, I will say that's been the one thing that COVID has given me is like, I still had like aches and pains, but I was like, <laughs> I was so focused on COVID that I wasn't really focused on my body. <laughs> injuries like nobody got seriously injured right eric did take a stick to the head at one point like oh no he kind of like bent down now the guy pulled back and he went down i thought he was joking at first and then it was like you know the coach goes out to check on the player on the field because i was on the bench at the time and i was like hey uh attack our elder statesman here so (laughs) thankfully he was able to get up and uh and continue playing but i was like don't do that to me buddy yeah But overall, we had fun. We scored, I forget, uh, we scored a good amount of goals. We scored more than 10 goals. So uh, Yeah, that's awesome. Overall, it was an achievement, even though only half of our team won. So there (laughs) is that. Hopefully next year will be better. And before we move on, this is your bi-weekly reminder to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Totally fallen off on all of that, but we are at Adult Book Club 21. It is Adult Book Club, all one word, then the number 21. You can find us there and see what our beautiful faces look like. Not this episode for me. And on that note, (laughs) we move to the book, which once again is No Country for Old Gnomes by Delilah S. Dawson and Kevin Hearn. So No Country for Old Gnomes is the second novel in the Book of Pell series written by Dawson and Hearn. The series starts with Kill the Farm Boy and ends with The Princess Beard. Aside from this series, the two write separately and have authored more than 30 novels combined. Hearn came up with the idea for the series, but was a bit overwhelmed with how much work would go into it in order to pack the story with as many jokes, puns, and anti-tropes as possible. He discussed it with Dawson, and the two agreed it would be much easier to write half the story than the whole thing. Now, if you're wondering why we picked the middle book, first of all, it was the one at my store that had two copies. And secondly, I have a weird thing with gnomes. They're super cool. Everyone should. <laughs> so on that note, Taja, if you want to read us the jacket, we will dive into this one. All right. War is coming and it's going to be Pell. On one side stand the gnomes, small, cheerful, possessing tidy cardigans and no taste for cruelty. On the other side sit the halflings, proudly astride their war alpacas, carrying bags of grenades and hungry for a fight. It takes only one halfling bomb and Offie Newmanen's world is turned upside down. Or downside up, really, since he lives in a hole in the ground. His goth cardigans and aggressively melancholy set him apart from the other gnomes, as does his decision to fight back against their halfling oppressors. Suddenly, Afi is the leader of a band of lovable outcasts, which include a hungry griffin, a dwarf herbalist, and a teen witch with a beard as long as her book of curses. These adventurers never fit in anywhere else, but as they become friends, fight mermaids, and journey to the Toot Towers to confront the dastardly villain intent on tearing Pell asunder, they learn there's nothing more heroic than being yourself. Well done. And to start this one, I want to switch it up before we get into the multitude of characters that we spent 100 pages getting to know. We have to talk about how this book was written. You are the comedy novel expert. What did you think of the effort here? Okay, so I felt like 
reading it, like the physical book kind of fell flat to me. It, it just read off the page flat. I think that there's definitely, I love puns. I absolutely love puns, but there's something more satisfying about them when they're delivered correctly or they're delivered in a manner that I don't know how to phrase it. Anyway, I switched from reading it, the hard copy, to listening to the audio version of it. And that massively changed my opinion of the book and the humor. It was like a whole new book. I mean, the narrator did a really good job with accents. And as you said, there are so many different characters. It really gave more volume and it re- the jokes resonated better coming from a place of probably the way they were supposed to be delivered. You know, if you're reading something, you're maybe mispronouncing something or you're not really paying attention to the way that it's spelled or whatever, which is sometimes where the humor was coming from. So yeah, I think on the page, it was very flat and I didn't love the humor. And then when I started listening to it, I still didn't love the humor, but there were times when I actually like giggled out loud and there was, it had just more impact having all of the characters with their different accents and the jokes coming through as actual jokes. Yeah, I definitely struggled with it. And I knew going into this book that my love of gnomes would have to carry me over my distrust of comedy novels. And I didn't think it stood much of a chance. And it was rough to read, like you're saying. I do think a part of that is you almost have to be in a playful like frame of mind where you are taking on those characters, where you're like narrating it in your head and adding that flair yourself. And they do a good job, like you were saying, of like writing it so it can be interpreted that way. Yeah, like they phonetically spell things out the way they want you to. And they do well giving each character a voice. And like you were saying, with the different ways they talk and all that, they do well with that. But it's on you to deliver it to yourself that way. And And to be consistent, which like is really hard when I'm reading a book to make sure that I'm visualizing things consistently. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it does get extra pressure being a podcast book. I know for me, especially because like halfway through this thing, I'm like, how are we going to talk about this fucking book? Yeah, you think about it way more critically, I think, than a book you read for a percent which also means you're not probably adding that extra flair because you're thinking of a hundred other things or <laughs> right but I did feel like a lot of the jokes on paper came off as like immature like not yeah. I I we you touched on the the hot button word before we started recording and that is gork and mm. I will say this one was head and shoulders above gork like, oh, yeah. definitely wanted to give it its place way above that because yeah. that was like juvenile immature didn't even make sense. I was just going to say, the story didn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. This at least, we had, it made sense. We had our quest. We had our characters. All of our characters' mannerisms made sense. They stuck with their mannerisms. That Mm -hmm. being said, some of the side quests they went on, some of the other characters they uh, came in contact with, all that stuff, I was eye-rolling quite a bit on this where I was like, I I get it. If you're going to go to 10, you might as well go to 11 when it comes to writing comedy, but there was quite a few times I was just like, I am not the target audience for this book. No, and I think again, like, I'm just gonna jump to the end of my, of the podcast here and say that I would not recommend this book for somebody to, I would not hand them this copy and tell them to read it. I would say, go find the audio. Like I found it on Spotify, it was free, it was part of my whatever. I did have to listen to it 
fast to get it within the 10 hour time frame that I have to listen to audiobooks, but that's just how I like it anyway. So it's fine. But it was so much more such a pleasure to listen to rather than read. And if somebody was interested in D&D, which like, I think this is a very tropey in a good way, D&D kind of adventure story. And I think that anybody who enjoys that kind of thing would have a good time with this if they listen to it. Yeah, that's fair. And it, like you were saying, it is interesting because our characters do kind of level up in a way at different times. Mm-hmm. And like, it, it is a coming of age story in a way, like not really, they don't spend that much time together, but they it's a, it's a coming to understand yourself story and kind of like it says, like fit into your own skin and realize that there's a place for you. Like, I think that was another part of it as I was looking for more of that found family. Yes. Um, and, and it did and didn't happen here. I, I yeah, felt like- and I- think you hit the nail on the head with like there was a little bit of the found family but just for a hot second it was more like a found like adventuring group yeah but it was more about them sort of figuring out who they are as people and all of them yeah leveling up I think is the perfect way to describe it too because all of them start in one place one headspace one whatever and then end up in a different and better one because they've all grown from these experiences and learned about each other and themselves and the world and Quite a few of the characters actually had that in common that they didn't have a lot of worldly experience. They were all very, well, not all of them, but a lot of them were very secluded in their upbringing. And like, what's his name? Buffy? No. Baggy. Baggy. Yeah. He was like, he's the dwarf, right? Yeah. Um, He says so many times how he just like doesn't know how things work in the world. And so he keeps making a fool of himself and like, it's easy for him to offend people because he doesn't know what to do. And then like, you've got the other side of that. Like Agape is like, I'm worldly in that I travel all the time, but I don't know how to interact with people because I'm never supposed to interact with people. So you've got all these like different changes happening in all of them, but a lot of similar sort of issues, which I think is really cute from like a character standpoint, because that's what a lot of people in their everyday lives are going through maybe not with like halflings bombing your home but like other things learning about the world and figuring out who you are as a person very coming of age very very much growth happening it's like when you realize that your parents are just winging it too you know yeah yeah you hit that age where you're like wait you didn't know everything like you're you're also going by the seat of your pants yeah Before we get to the characters, the one last thing I wanted to touch on how it was written. What did you think of the blurbs that were before each pair uh, chapter? I thought it was their attempt at making things funny, I like being funny. And sometimes I thought it was humorous and other times I was like, this is kind of pointless. As we've discussed with those blurbs at the beginning of chapters of other books, I don't necessarily gain a lot from them and this was the case here too like it was just there and sometimes like I caught the pun and appreciated it and other times I was like okay that was just something I read (laughs) I just I thought it was a lot of added effort for not a lot of landing and yeah I remember one specifically where they had like two sides of the argument it was like you know one blurb and it was like signed by this guy and then like another blurb that was like everything you've heard is wrong signed by this guy it's like okay that's kind of funny I guess but if you did 31 of those to land that one joke I feel like you went too far. It didn't really work out. As far as the blurbs before chapters, I think the only one I really remember being like, this was really helpful was Dune. Because they used them to kind of give you a little bit of the backstory before the chapter you jumped into. 
Sure. Yeah. So that was that was helpful. Where this, like, I didn't see it serving a purpose, and no. uh, I, I just thought it was another thing that kind of gave me a. Uh, I feel like you tried too hard, which was kind of a theme for this story in a couple different places. Yeah, and I feel like they're like, okay, we need to make it really punny, and if like it was basically just another outlet for that, and it didn't always fit like, or matter or gain anything to the story or add anything to the story. Like, I think the sort of the thing that I looked out for the most in the blurbs was the names of the people who were saying it or whatever, because that was where like the puns happened. But like, I don't really think I cared much about what was said. It was just like, oh, what silly person has said this thing, you know? Yeah, fair. It was just a chance for them to add another dad joke or a one yeah. or something yeah. like that again. So it it, it happened, uh, but I don't think they were necessary. So let's move back to our characters. We've got six of them to get through that are in our main party. So tell me what you liked and didn't like about them. We'll go one by one, starting with Afi Newman. Um. Okay, so Afi was just like that precious emo kid who just like embraced his difference. And I love that about him. I love that he was a super clever, like, tinkerer. They called it something different. A nomeric gear? Gear hand? Gear Okay, gear something. But yeah, I, I just really loved his... I pictured him very emo, like, 90s emo. I liked his, like, gloomy cardigans. He was just really great. I appreciated that he... The bold move of pretending to be Ani at the beginning of everything. He was a precious flower. And I think he had a lot of really cool growth. It just was like a bummer that he felt like he had to pretend to be his brother in order to fit in. Yeah, that, yeah. that, was, that was a big thing for me because he was constantly comparing himself to Ani. And he's, he's more gnome-like in a lot of ways than Ani is. Totally. Because Ani's brave and heroic and all this stuff, whereas Afi is more of the gearhead or whatever they call them, and like great with fixing things, which is like the main thing that gnomes are supposed to do. They're getting mm-hmm. in trouble for like making things too good in the city where they're being um, held as refugees. So like Afi is a lot more gnome-like than he than he seems, but because he wears the black cardigans with the bats on them and puts coal under his eyes and I don't know, wants to be more emo than he should be. He he uh, he stands He's out, and yeah. because of that, he is basically his brother's shadow. Mm-hmm. But once he gets out from under that shadow, like you were saying, when he basically they decide to go on this quest, and Kiersey goes, "Oh, go get your brother! Like we need your brother, not you." And Offy makes that decision. Okay, I'm just going to pretend to be Oni because I- I'm tired of like being left behind. And once he does, once he like, I feel like that's probably a way for a lot of twins. Like you're always set against each other because yeah. especially identicals. But I feel like, especially once you get that chance to branch off and get out from under them or yeah. get away from those comparisons all the time, you really can discover yourself more. Yeah. So he definitely had probably the best. Well, I think they all had great arcs, but he had a really great arc where he was just, you saw that confidence come and like he, he shown in places that his brother wouldn't. I think it was very obvious that he wasn't his brother, even though we as readers knew that because of just in the little bit about them, he's like standing out way too much about it. Even if he is wearing a cleaner cardigan or whatever. Right. Right. I mean, like, honestly, the only thing that Ani was bringing to the table that Afi wasn't was that he recited nomeric nomerisms or whatever the fuck they call it and he like yeah 
Ani's a little bit of like a leadership qualities. Like he gets people going and motivated and whatnot. But like on an adventure, like sure, you maybe need somebody to take charge, but you need somebody who can like make a bunch of stuff. And like all of Afi's skill sets are much more handy. <laughs> yeah, Ani is obviously charisma based and Afi is like wisdom based. So yes. So next we have our other gnome, which is Kiersey Nugenson. Wondering what you thought about her. I really liked Kiersey. I thought that I loved her independence, like right from the get go was like, I'm just bailing because like my parents are never gonna see the light. And she's just, she's a strong female lead. Yeah, she I think would probably be one of my my favorites, I appreciated that she, at first I thought maybe she was going to be like, oh, go get Ani. Like, yeah, she had a crush. But then that she was going to defer to him as the leader or Afi pretending to be Ani as the leader or whatever. But she really stepped up to the plate. And yeah, I'd say she was the glue for the team. She like kept them going and like knew how to do things. And she was very bold and strong with her magic, which was kind of weird to eat the hair but whatever yeah i yeah she was chef's kiss yeah i liked everything you're saying she she's a strong female lead she had power of her own to start and we only saw that power grow and then again with her confidence growing where maybe she realized at some point we know she did at some point realize it was off instead of only but even before that i think she kind of realized that she could take charge like people were looking oh, yeah. for her to to make decisions too and she really uh, grew into that role. So I did like a lot about her. And I was a little worried that it was going to be all hard eyes and stuff like that because part of the reason she went to town was because the Newmanin's house was bombed and, oh, my sweet, sweet crush, I was sitting here waiting for you to come out of your gnome hole so we could talk. And then she like totally clicks into a different person as the party comes together. So I was- And they have their little squishy moments, which I thought was kind of cute, but it wasn't like overtaken. Yes, it wasn't those things I complained about where it's like, we just met, let's fuck. It was like, yeah. oh, we're having this nice moment. Oh shit, the world is still here. We have to right. do this right now, you know, right. figure that out. So yeah, and just getting back to how she would have to tear off either an eyelash or a beard hair or something. She tied it a knot and most gnomes give blessings with their hair and they have to eat it. She gave curses. So it was interesting to see how she would use that. And how she wasn't, she didn't want to like kill people. So she would just find different ways to distract them or or get them to get away from them by lighting their chest hair on fire or something like that. Very creative. I love that. Yeah. uh, Interesting take on that. So now we get to the other side of the war, which are the halflings. And this is where we have an unexpected guest to our party. The halfling Falcon Puternoob. Of the Tooterloo Pooternoobs. Yes, I did not all write all that. No, that's fine. That's like the one, like my takeaway from listening to it was how he says Tooterloo Pooternoobs because that's he's got her, that's French accent. What did you think of him? I actually really enjoyed Falcon. I liked that he had such a strong moral compass and he was such a law nerd. And I appreciated that he was kind of the opposite of all the halflings that we see, the other halflings we see in the story, but he is somehow also like the epitome of what a halfling is supposed to be or used to be or whatever. So there's like his purity of halflingness (laughs) goes against what we're seeing in the rest of the story, but he's so steadfast in his belief in all of that. And he was just very peculiar and particular and nerdy 
And I, yeah, I thought he was a good time, especially his accent in the narrated version. <laughs> nice. I can see how, because like Afi is considered so different by the way he dresses and all that, like all of our characters are outcasts from the people. So if you're going to have an outcast halfling, it would have to be Falco. Like, oh, yeah. because every, all the other ones, he talks about how like disgusting they are and how unkempt they are and how much they smell and their their toe hair isn't like done properly or whatever. And he talks about how much care he puts into his feet and his chest hair and his toe rings and all this different stuff. Toe ring face. And I did, at first I was like, okay, this guy. But when he like finally comes out of his like hate spiral or rage spiral because he's angry because the love of his life was crushed by a statue that was not put up with the proper laws and codes. So he's getting back vengeance on everybody and Marquette Dick or whatever his name is, is using that against or using that to his advantage and saying like, okay, these are the people, focus your rage on them. So when he finally comes out of that and can see what's really going on, I appreciated how quickly he was able to 180 and and while he was changing his sides, he wasn't really changing his character at all. Like it was right. just he was deceived. Yeah. And when he wasn't, his his moral compass was now swinging. The, you know, it was always swinging the right way, but he realized he was being deceived. He was misdirected. Yeah. So he had gotten back on path. So it wasn't like this huge change of character. It was just a realization that brought him to the right side. Totally. Yeah. His conviction is very strong. So I think he has even more fuel for the fire that he was deceived about who was at fault it makes him even more full of vengeance and like better better equipped to fight the good fight absolutely yeah so I, I liked him and as he went on I think he's the one that probably changed the least because he just kind of yeah. stayed steady he just more just changed sides uh, yeah got, got I think right his side. biggest change comes later which I don't want to talk about yet but that Kind of like figuring out who he is after he loses something that's really important to him. It's true. Uh, that's a good point. So we will move on. And with Falcone came the Griffin Gerd, mm. uh, which I think we'll have very different opinions on because we of how we yeah. ingested this media. So what did you think of Gerd? I thought she was awesome. I think that the biggest difference, I mean, I actually started listening before we met Gerd, so I didn't actually ever read any of the stuff on the page. I know. But <laughs> I think, uh, I think I saw this on the page somewhere, is that like when she was speaking in other people's minds, which was her kind of the only way she could speak, like in a language that others could understand, it was like in italics, but the narrator did a really good job and she had this like very sort of regal, fancy-sounding voice, which I think played really well with the way that they were trying to inject the humor, mm. with the way that she says certain words like yellow and blue, <laughs> and, like, all that stuff on the page is not funny. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you hear this person say yellow, you're like, okay, that's entertaining. And the, just, like, the... Especially with, like, a snooty kind of accent... You've got somebody being like, no, it's pronounced eggs. 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 And like, I was calling them eggies, so obviously it wasn't working for me. Right. And like the umlaut and like how important that is. And like reading it, that's the thing that I struggled with the most is that the what they're trying to present is this very particular kind of humor. 
And you can't do that with assuming that someone's going to interpret it the way that you meant it to be. Um, So listening to Gerd was so much more entertaining. I also just love her and Falcon's relationship. Like, mm, fresh. (laughs) So we can agree on that. I'll skip my negatives about it. But um, my big thing was I loved her loyalty. Oh my God. Yeah. Falcon made her uh, omelet eggies or whatever. And he could do no wrong. And he got her the special ingredients of crickets and ladybugs and all this other stuff. So he had won her undying support. So even when they come to Crossroads with uh, her bringing a gate to Falcon, she's like to Falcon, you can't hurt her. But also to her, you can't hurt him because I'm not loyal to both of you. So like, don't fuck this up. Don't make, I I can't choose. So I'm just going to get in the way here. So Gerd was a good character for that. Also the fact that it added to travel where the gnomes obviously having issues keeping up with everybody had, had longer legs. They could ride on Gerd or Gerd could scout for them. It was just a good choice to get some different type of character that could move in a different way. It really opened up the story to other lanes that you could then travel on. So I thought overall her character was well thought out. And apparently when you hear her words said properly, she is so much better. So on that note, we move to the half sheep Half person, uh, the Ovatar named Agape Fallopia. What did you? Um, it is pronounced Agape. Agape Fallopia. Yeah, Agape is my least favorite. Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, Agape is my least favorite. I understand a lot of why she is the way she is. You know, having to like grow up on the run and basically like having parents who like not necessarily lied to you, but like. Her upbringing was pretty fucked up, always on the run, always like the the safety of the um, preenie takes precedence and just like a weird, she's like the very super duper homeschooled kid in the group who like doesn't really have social interaction skills and so doesn't really like trust other people, but also and like. Falcon calls her out for this multiple times, but, like, she steals things. She yep. steals salt shakers from, like, anywhere she goes, which I think was a funny little tie-in later. I actually appreciated that they came back to that and it had, like, a, a ramification. A and yeah. yeah. But Agape's just, like, general attitude really annoyed me. And I didn't... Aside from being, like, the key that can open the door, I don't really feel like she brought much to the table. She brought a whole lot of trauma. That is for sure. So I understand like you were saying, her trying to work through that. And like you touched on earlier, whereas everybody else was kind of, except for Falcone, Gerd a little bit, they were a little worldly, but Agape was obviously the most worldly, but the least socialized. Because one of their rules is you can't be in the same place for three days. Right. Like all this different shit. So she has been everywhere, but has made no friends, except for her parents who immediately abandoned her as soon as they could. They were terrible people. Speaking about trauma and trauma. So like she turns 20, I think it is, or something, or I don't know. She, she turns an age and basically Prinny starts listening to her. So that her family is protecting this, this robot that is secret that nobody knows why, because they've been protecting it for generations to the point where the reason they were protecting it, they've forgotten, but they yeah. know they have to. And the robot will only listen to one person and that's her father until it's not. Because they're supposed to have a child, and once the child can take over giving direction to the robot, it is now their problem, and apparently the parents then fuck off, and this is their first chance to live a life, so they literally do it within seconds of it happening. It was so fucked up. And I get that you want your freedom, but I can't imagine you just being like, all right, kid, 
See ya. Right? Don't forget yeah. to send us postcards. So I totally, I totally get why Agape is damaged goods. But yeah, I just, her whole character arc was the least satisfying. Yeah, she grew a little bit, but she still didn't. She's like, when I was saying before, like how I thought it would be more found family, she's like distant cousin. Like yeah. she yeah, she's to like, get her to distant cousin. Yeah, she's the one that maybe shows up at events and you're like, mm. oh. Which one is that? All yeah. Right. Also, how did you picture her? Because I've never really heard of Otars and that was... I pictured like a satyr. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going with too. I'll also, also like on the page, because I did meet her before I started listening to it. The way that they spoke, not funny. When you hear it, funny, because like they, because, well, because they can just be like, oh, that's bad. And you're like, okay, (laughs) sure. But like it's take somebody saying it for it to like be funny. Otherwise, you're like basically glossing over and not reading it the way it's supposed to be done. Which I was. But to be yeah. fair, both, both characters you've now impersonated, I've gotten a giggle off of. So <laughs> good. you're onto something. So lastly, we wrap up. And if this feels long, folks, this is like the first 120 pages of the goddamn book. It took so long to introduce our characters and their goddamn yeah, backstory. There's so many. But lastly, we have Baggy Bins. Uh, so Baggy Bins is the dwarven herbalist. What did you think of him? Also a bit of a precious flower. Like I was saying before, when all the characters kind of have a similar, well, not most of the characters have a similar situation where they're very like secluded. Their upbringing was very secluded. He's going on his mead springer, which is actually kind of funny. <laughs> and he's like leaving his, you know, home on the mountains or whatever, wherever those dwarves live and going to experience the world. And like, I appreciate that that's like, they've brought it back to something that I not that I'm familiar with Rub Springer, but I know what it is and what it's supposed to like accomplish or whatever. Yeah. So that tie-in was convenient to use. He is just really cute, but one of those guys where you're like, gee, I wish you'd just like learn some shit and or maybe just like be quiet about the stuff you don't know. I did appreciate though how he acknowledges how not worldly he is often you know he i'm not saying he makes excuses like he doesn't do something stupid and then be like oh i don't know he like does something because he's got his heart's in the right place and then he's like oh maybe i offended somebody or maybe this was a bad choice or whatever but he still also has like a lot to bring to the table in terms of all of his like potions and all the herbs that he can help out with and like his little bit with the queen bee that he had like leashed and like (laughs) that was actually really cute he's just he's kind of a precious flower in that he's so naive but he's he does know a lot of things and it was just refreshing that he didn't think that he knew too much or more than he did and he he was willing to learn from his experiences yeah, he was the one I wanted to know more about the mm. most. He just because he seemed the most interesting with what he was going through. So for them, Mead Springer is a chance to get their rage out. So they oh, have right. the, the telling cudgel, which will transform when your emotions are high enough from a walking stick into like basically a barbed club, so that you know you're getting your rage out. And you know you finally got your rage out when it like transforms back into like just a stick. The tree. Yeah, yeah, that they then plant when they get home and it becomes a tree. So Precious. it was so that kind of level of backstory and kind of world building. I was very interested to know. Yeah, that was an interesting. And we did get it from pieces uh, without giving anything away. I liked that his part in the epilogue. Like I thought oh, that was so really cute. Cool. Yeah. And it only made me kind of want more. 
of him. But going back to what you said, the naivete was just off the hook. Where constantly, especially in the beginning, he was like, "Oh, did I read that room exactly wrong? You don't say." Like yeah. that got a little <laughs> bit frustrating at times. It was like, "Baggy, just stop!" Like well, just look around. He's very like outgoing. So there's yeah. no rain. There's no reins of True. like, maybe I don't know what depth I'm in here and I should just keep my mouth shut. But no, he's just like blabbing everything. And like, that's like the character growth that I appreciated though, is that he does somewhat move away from that. He does sort of learn that there's things he doesn't know and to like, just not say anything. <laughs> don't just put be, your foot in it. Just be quiet for a little bit longer. Yeah. So those are our characters. I thought they were all interesting in their own ways except for apparently agape she could just get out of the book yeah agape shmagape nice so moving on we have the setting of our story is the world of pell mostly in the skier territory where the halflings are bombing the gnomes out of their homes and no one seems to be helping what did you make of our setting it was just kind of there and so I, mean, I kind of, I guess I should say like setting and story setup too okay i wanted to touch on that as well yeah so like the the world that was built. I don't know if it's because like we're coming in in the second book and not the first book. I'm not sure that it really mattered much. It just seems like a a D and D setting, you yeah. know. Like I I didn't really give it too much thought about like how the hierarchy or whatever worked or whatnot. Like I it just was there. I think from a story standpoint, that didn't hurt anything, you know. Like having it just be a world where this was this and this was that and whatever. Like, I think they explained things succinctly enough for me to not need. You know, there's sometimes when an environment needs more explanation than we're given as readers. This, I felt like, was fine. It was understandable. It was sort of, like, easy to get, you know. The the map didn't look at it beyond that first time before we started reading it, where I was looking at all the funny names. Like, map didn't matter. Yeah. Which, fine, whatever. I appreciate that they went through the effort because they were funny just looking at the map was funny but it didn't really like play into the story the way that the adventure was structured also just seemed very normal D ish like i guess nothing really like stood out or hindered in any way it was just kind of meh seems too negative but it was just it existed <laughs> so for me like the setting got me like a little annoyed like, we spent a couple minutes after last episode laughing and pointing out the funny names that was fun you're right. The map was funny. What annoyed me a little bit was like they'd go out of their way to like explain the route to us. Like they're going to go to this town and this town and that town and up here. Oh, and I like southwest of that. You just breeze by it. But I just broke by it. Yeah. Bros. These are all words, Daja. You need to read them. Uh, <laughs> but it was just one of those things where it felt like another two bit joke. They were trying to land by mentioning all the different names. But like you're saying, like, I don't think the map was even necessary other than to get a laugh out of. Yeah. Uh, because it wasn't one of those things where you're like looking at, oh, how's our adventure going? Honestly, I looked back at it afterwards and I was like, wow, we touched on such a small part of this world. It felt like this was a grander adventure. Right. So that that part was a little bit interesting. As far as our story setup, the reason I wanted to bring it up here was just like we touched on before. It's where it stands apart from Gork and maybe some of the other comedy, if you want to call that, or like some of the other things we've read that haven't scored as well, like Neuromancer. Neuromancer interesting but the story didn't really match up to what you're doing here like i think matt is a little bit hard i'd say fair like they started with a fair baseline and they at least gave us something that made sense aside from all the side quests there was a part where you're like holy fuck what are we doing here but it made sense 
yeah there was no moment where i was like whoa how did we get to this point yeah, yeah it all it, like yes there were lots of side quests but they still followed logically from something else it wasn't just like a rand you know what i mean like yeah we went a to b to c like it <clears throat> yeah. works uh, and again all of our characters their motivations made sense yes. like there wasn't just anybody that was like well i don't know i mean i guess agape well it went on was like hanging on because we right. kind of got through her important part and then she was like right. I'm hang out with you guys and do what you were doing <laughs> i guess i care well, and i think that that was like the one part of her character growth aspect where like she was discovering that other people can actually care about her yeah um because her parents didn't actually show that in any way shape or form so i think that was like important for her to recognize that she was wanted or accepted or whatever and to stick around after that yeah 100 percent. so kind of like i said it's it's I, I just wanted to touch on it to say they did they did okay yeah. <laughs> like, it at least yeah. worked it was at least made sense that it was a book. Oh, and obviously they're both authors. They've written over 30 books together separately. So they, they know what they're doing. They right? know what they're doing. Yeah. A load full of uh, crappy puns. So on that note, before we get to our spoilers, we have your get to know your podcaster question. In this book, we learn a lot about the gnomes and their views and expectations for appearance and cleanliness. Most importantly, we learned that Offie stands out because he wears his black cardigan with purple bats on it, which is very unknown like. If you had to design your gnome cardigan, what color would it be and what would be on it? Okay, so it would probably be like a maroon or eggplant kind of color because apparently that's like what most of my sweater colors are. Just like in general is this like maroonish color and maybe some like mustard mixed in there. But I think like from a design standpoint, it would just have like all the things that I like. It would be like a giraffe and a book and a dog and like a glass of wine, just all all of the things, like an amalgam of stuff. Um, it would, it wouldn't yeah. have necessarily a theme. The theme would be everything I like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I honestly, like, I would probably have more than one sweater. I was going to say, you could have, like, different cardigans for... Yeah, and it would probably be that kind of thing, where I'd have sort of, like, not necessarily earth tones, but, like, a, a maroon, a... a purple uh, maybe that mustardy color like something like that but they'd uh, they'd have like maybe just on the front maybe a couple different ones of the things that i like yeah i, I feel like everyone would have a patch of bryce like right where your heart is oh probably everything <laughs> yeah. yeah um for me i would have to go with some like nice rust orange i i've had quite a few sweaters that are that color it's it's a nice I'm, i was told once long ago i'm an earth tones guy uh, but i also love orange so that's kind of how i blend the two together and then on it i would want first of all some dark elbow patches because i will never get oh, over elbow patch those are just those are just so nice so a nice dark blue elbow patch and then um, probably just like books and records or things that make me look uh, more regal than I am, you know, like a nice yes. cigar with or uh, what <laughs> with like smoke coming out of it because I enjoy the fancy things in life and leather bound like, books, a nice scotch bottle. I don't know. It's like oh look at me, I, I sit and I read all day and like. Oh, yeah, and then they'd be like, here, fix this. And I'd be like, oh, I'm not that kind of gnome, sorry. <laughs> I'm the reading kind of gnome. Also, I don't have a beard, so I, I <laughs> don't like gnome in the world. My beard would be really good, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> you would outshine me. I, I I, just tell people that I was giving out too many blessings. That's why it's so <laughs> correct. 
So on that note, tell us in the comments uh, what cardigan you would wear, you know? Of course, reach out to us, let us know. And on that note, we move into spoilers, but before we get there, we have your song. It goes like this. This is the part that we're going into spoilers. If you don't know the book, get out. Because this is the part that we're going into spoilers. It's time to learn what that quest and that side quest and that side quest and that other side quest and then that side quest and then that quick stop and then the final battle. That This is what it's all about in spoilers. Also, shout out me. This is the shortest spoilers ever written. So let's get very unspecific. After the group returns Agape's robot to the hidden library in the underground city, they set out with copies of the founding laws of Pell and all their amendments, which had been long thought to be lost. They believe that showing this to the shared seat of power, one gnome and one halfling, in the two towers, they will be able to return the land to law and order and stop the killings. Along the way, they get sidetracked a few times with many stops and side quests where they learn a little bit more about themselves and how to trust each other. That's one page into one sentence. Simultaneously, the king of Pell, named Gustav, realizes that all is not right in his kingdom and goes to visit Lord Urgot, who is in charge of helping the gnomes and saying everything is fine. When he arrives, Urgot attacks the king and chases him all the way to the two towers. Gustav arrives first and confronts the governing body, only to be taken prisoner by Marquant Dick and his group of rogue halflings. The king's advisor is able to escape and, while running away, runs into our group of heroes. The heroes sneak back into the chamber and a fight breaks out, but they are quickly subdued by Kiersey's new magic that she earned by eating a witch's heart. However, a distraction occurs which causes her to lose focus and the battle recommences. Avi sees that the king is distracted and that Marquant Dick is going to stab him in the back. He runs and tackles Marquant, but is stabbed in the stomach for his troubles. The battle continues around him and eventually our heroes are able to subdue or kill all the bad guys. Kiersey runs to Offie's side as Baggy tries to create a healing poultice for him, but he knows it's too late. Offie confesses to Kiersey that he has been masquerading as his twin brother Oni the whole time, and that he was sorry that he tried to deceive her, but for once he wanted to be out from under his perfect brother's shadow. Kiersey tells him she has known for quite some time because Offie was always the smarter one and better tinkerer. She holds him as he dies. After the battle, there is much to do, including naming a new gnome and halfling to lead the people of Skier. This obviously goes to Falcone and Kiersey, who hold on to it in an interim basis, but gain re-election six months later. Gerd decides to stay near Falcone and is given a chicken farm so she can have all the eggies she can ever want. Agape is given an artist grant and sent to Quell, where she can focus on her art and happiness. Baggy returns home to the mountains with his rage quelled and listens to the winds and sings his piece. Kiersey and the king return to brooding and find Offie's family to tell them that he was a hero and they should be proud of him. It is now safe for the gnomes to go home and Oni agrees to lead them. Ta-da! Story. So, the authors wrote with a Dungeons and Dragons-esque quest in mind and there were plenty of stops and side quests along the way. Did any of these events stand out to you as good or bad? I wouldn't say anything stood out as good or bad. I feel like all of them felt relatively typical D&D type things. You know, like you run across that that other gnomish tinker who happens to have this big like centipod traveling thing and like how convenient. I guess that's the thing. And we talked a little bit about this before we started recording was the the sort of very convenient scenarios that they ran into specifically the additional people that 
they happened across that then end up being the ones that died instead of them. <laughs> but that also, like, from a D&D perspective, like, I anticipate the NPCs not surviving. <laughs> It's true. In true. most cases. So I don't know. It it all just I just wrote down that it was very like typical D D quest vibes. And it was like each one kind of built logically off of the last so that it wasn't how did we get here? What are we doing with this? Yeah, it made sense how they got to the things, but I will say the one that stood out to me, and it was one of the first ones, was Tommy Bombastic. Oh, that, Holy yeah. shit. That was, I couldn't, I couldn't find my eyes. I couldn't find my pupils anymore. They were gone in the back of my head. I hated everything about that. How he had to have his catchy little tunes. How, like, we had to focus on how he was basically keeping those dryads, like, uh, slaves. It was and, very rapey sounding, yeah. like, just in general. Felt very uh, uncomfortable with his whole persona. Which okay. it was it was great that Falcone got to like screw him over using laws. Good job, yes. Falcone. Yes. But it was like, why did we need Tommy Bombastic to be a thing? I did not love that character. No, I agree. And I feel like there were some bits that came back later, like she uh, Agape had stolen his salt shaker, and then later the dryads or mermaids or whatever mermaids, yeah. it's the mermaids come back and they like call on the dryad help on there. They didn't help, which I thought was kind of weird. But You're the on your own. Yeah, like, cool, great. All the mermaids wanted was the salt shaker back. Like, it was just a weird, I I get that tie-in, but Tommy was a really terrible character. I had totally forgotten about him, so you're right. That was a bad one. I could not get past him, and he's a demigod, so they're obviously doing their own thing or whatever, but I absolutely hated that. The other one I wrote down that stood out to me was the ghostal or the ghost hotel, the or the ghost hostel, the ghostal, which I felt like was only brought up here because she wanted to have a callback. I assume because he was mentioned in King Gustav's part, that uh, oh, ghost that they found, I assume he was from the first book. That so would make sense. Lip service to the fans that have read that are like, hey, this guy, is he questionable? He certainly seems questionable as a ghost. And he wants you to do this like really illegal thing to try to get him to come back. And <laughs> ha 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 ha. <laughs> Yeah, and then, like, the guy who runs the hostel being, like, a vampire but not a vampire and, like, that whole, like, misdirection but not misdirection and then it's like, oh, you're being all, like, racist assuming that I'm a vampire when I'm not and I, yeah, that was, and and I found annoying the little assistant was, like, Igor but really not and, like, it it felt very, like, try hard. Yeah, they were definitely pointing us all in that one direction. And they're like, he's not a vampire. He's a dentist. You're all racist, too. You're racist vampires. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if there's something I'm going to be cautious around, it's vampires. So I don't. And also dentists. But whatever. Right? Two for two. And then just closing out on what you were saying, like we talked about earlier, it was very much like every movie uh, that you see or every book. It's like, oh, bring that extra guard. Or like, here's Ken. It's his first day. Yeah, we had the Savellas, this gnome family that was like hiding in the woods, like get on their centipede or whatever, because of course there's plenty of room for them. Of course. And then we meet the troll, and the troll gets murdered. Or the troll murders the Savellas very quickly. Yeah. After we leave the ghostal, we're lost in the fens because the board, the talking board left because all boars can talk if you just would wait and listen. 
a kobloid bard finds us and is able to lead us back to the road where we then fight a witch and he is the only one to get killed. It was very much like our party's growing. No, we spent 120 pages on our party. Our party is done. Yeah. We need, like you said, the NPCs to come along to get heads blown off, etc. which as a DM is something that you do. So, right. I mean, so again, it, tear them apart. It felt very D and D like just throughout that bit you were just talking about with the the bard and Kersey, like kind of turning a corner with her fear and racism or whatever towards him and then kind of avenging his death but also like eating the heart of that witch i was like that took a darker turn than i was expecting but i appreciate that they called out that like everyone was like looking away while it was happening and she was like owning it <laughs> and they even said that might have been a blurb in the chapter or she heard it from maybe the witch said it before where it's like you have to eat the heart raw because if you cook it it loses some of the magical ability yeah. so that they definitely set that up to have a very gruesome image of our little girl burping that down one that uh did occur actually while we were meeting Baggy that I found interesting and still don't understand what was happening there was the cabbage farm. So Baggy comes across that cabbage farm. I think that might also be another kind of throwback. Okay. I'm not sure, but because like there's something about when they meet the king later, he says some, there's something about cabbage in that conversation. And I think that it's just like a vein of from in their in their story world whatever because i thought that was obvious so the cabbages will respond to the guests that come to visit and show them somebody they're going to kill like i forget the exact words they said or whatever but the, the the cabbages vibrate and then it's like oh the the brother there reads it for him he's like oh you're gonna kill a halfling like father of two who like really cares for his whatever and then you're gonna kill this halfling who's like taking care of his sick mother for six months and you're gonna kill this and it's like Baggy's like, oh my god, I'm a terrible person. But then he runs into them and they're a group of marauders who, yeah, sure, the cabbages see their good parts, but they have a whole lot of shittier parts, so you shouldn't feel bad about fucking killing them. Right. Yeah, the whole cult of the cabbage thing was weird. It was very weird. And also, apparently, if dwarves eat cabbages, they'll explode. So a lot of just, I don't know, added more, maybe. Yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of weird stuff going on with there. So... There were side quests. And on that note, I felt like the whole King Gustav thing was a bit of a side quest in its own way. So having not read the first book, what did you think of King Gustav and his advisor Grinda as they started taking up more and more of our book in the middle? I mean, I really liked King Gustav. I like his heart's in the right place. I think it's super weird that he like used to be a goat or whatever. But in it, the way that they didn't go into specifics presumably because the first book did yeah. <laughs> um it left me mildly curious about how they all got to that point the advisor and him but only mildly curious like i think they did a fine job with his character in this story just being what it is and not leaving it too obscure or too specific and either you know wasn't on either side of the spectrum so it was like just enough for what it needed to be for the story and i was like huh it's kind of weird that this happened but i'm also like i don't think i want to read the book to find out how they got here yeah i was the same way and i felt like like you're saying, I know enough of his story to understand what was happening there. Sure. I wonder if I could have done with less of his story and still understand what was going on there. That's also fair. Because that's kind of how I felt in those chapters. Like, especially dealing with COVID this week, I was falling asleep much easier while I was reading. So I was very much, as you know, trying to get to the end of chapters. And I think it was one of his where I like 
was like, oh my God, it was like one of the longer ones. It's like, I get we're doing like a cut scene here, but Jesus, some of us are sick and trying to get to the end of this goddamn chapter. So I can see that being a well thought out kind of first interesting story in this line. And who knows if they originally, because there wasn't much on the internet about the history of this. So I don't know if they thought they were just going to write one book or if it turned into a series, how it worked out. So I can see like, be interesting, a goat who turns into the king, like, sure. That's a fun story. Whatever. Um, I appreciated that he still had some like goat feelings or like goat, yeah, tendencies. But I also felt like they just wanted him to tell poop jokes the entire time. Oh my God. I know. I was going to say that. That was like funny one time. Yes. I don't need to hear about it a bunch of times. You wanted to drop more poops or something like that. I was like, okay, we can. Yeah. We can move past the poops. I understand that he's scared. As far as Grinda, I thought it was interesting that she was a dust witch. We didn't really get into that. Like our prologue. I'm sorry. She was a sandwich. My mistake. Get it? Sandwich. Like, I did not. I did not. Wow. Like wow. every time they said it out loud, I was like, she was a sandwich. And then I didn't read it. I didn't hear it like a sand which I heard it like sandwich. You thought she was a sandwich this whole time? Because that'd be... No, I knew she was a person. <laughs> she that was awesome. That's great. I did not actually... <laughs> got one by me. Probably got plenty by me. <laughs> I, so that makes more sense why she was a weird power. Because I was like, it's a cool thing. They made her a dust witch. And she had to like do stuff with dust, like make it work. But she was a sandwich and she still had to do stuff with dust to make it work. So I, I appreciate it was like a different take on that. Or yeah. a different take. It's not like earth, wind, fire, water, heart. No, give her fucking sand and see what well, happens. And same with uh, Kiersey's power. She's a bristle witch. So it's like hair, which I right. thought was pretty cool. Like the different kinds of ways that magic flourished in this world were fun. Yeah. And they also take their own side quest there where they go to the tower to see the half rabbit, half bard, who is a character from the first book. And then they like have to use them to figure out who's a spy. And then they figure out that it's one of his trusted advisors, but it's not her fault because Ergot has taken her brother. So now they're like, no, we must save we his brother. We have to rescue brother. the brother. Yeah, that's right. Side quest, their side quest is we're a secondary story. It makes so much sense. So while I found them interesting, again, I was like, okay, we all know where you're going. And right. That like that whole part I just described didn't have to be in this book. Like, I guess it gave you a little bit more notion that Ergot was the bad guy, that he was doing something bad. But I think we already had that before you put in that he kidnapped somebody's brother and was using them as leverage to make her spy. I also think it was helpful for us to see Gustav the King being proactive and like actually part of the rescue mission. I mean, like a little bit more peripherally. He is king, so he's got to be cautious. But like, I don't know that that was something like, yeah, where did that put us progressing the story? I don't really know. But I do feel like it was helpful for me to learn a little bit more about him as a character. And just in talking about it right now, I'm sure he's probably the through line. Like, he's probably in the third book, too. So probably... Oh, I would assume so. Yeah. Yeah, we spent time with him, so his story continues, too. So whatever. I'm still going to be a bit sour about it. I don't (laughs) care. I'm really upset I didn't get sandwiched, though. That's that's a lot. (laughs) Finally, everyone comes together for our final battle. What did you think of how our story wrapped up and what happened to our characters afterwards? So let's start with the battle at the two towers. What did you think about how that played out? I thought the battle was sort of nicely succinct. I I think the biggest takeaway from that was I appreciated that they weren't too scared to kill off a main character, that they offed Offie 
Hey, I can make jokes too. Um, I was surprised and somewhat pleased by that, even though I did tear up a little bit when I was listening, because like he's one of my faves and he was just so like accepting of it. And then I also appreciated Kiersey's response. You know, she was obviously devastated, but she was like, okay, we're going to like honor his memory and we're going to like pick up myself up by the bootstraps and we're going to keep going. And she's, yeah, I was pleased with how they wrapped that up and then I was pleased with how all of the stories wrapped up I mean it was a little bit saw that coming yeah (laughs) but it was still pleasant because I wanted there to be a relatively happy ending you know yeah I thought with with Offie's whole thing that basically made took this from a two-star book like a high two-star and made it a low (laughs) three-star because I was like Thank you. Like, how many times do I bitch about that? A lot. And there are so many times where I thought they were going to, like, pull a magic shoe out or or do something. Or, like, Doggy's, like, stuff would actually work. Yeah, they were going to bring him back. He was going to live. And I was like, don't fucking let him live. And, like, I liked him, too. I'm just, But I'm just saying it's so rare that you see a main character die and stay dead, even in D&D, that it was just so awesome that they did that and that they held to their guns with that. Because it did. It made the story this is dumb it made the story feel more real no, we actually it's... had a consequence which was yeah. nice to see. well and i also appreciated how in the like epilogue bits how when kiersey and the king go to back to Offie's family to explain what happened and uh, kiersey like straight up calls ani out for making it about him yes yeah. <laughs> and which is like such an ani move But then even, like, we've pulled away from Ani since the very beginning of the story, and we finally are coming back to him. And even in that one little moment, you're like, okay, there's character growth there, too, where he gets told not to make it about him, and then he, like, doesn't continue to try to make it about him. He's, like, already growing. Yeah. And then Offie's ghost gives him a little, how's it for, because I got a bigger medal than you, and then fucks off, too. He's like, I'm not going to waste my time haunting you. I did think that was a nice way to... Oh, I love that, yeah. ...have the last moment, for sure. Yeah. Um, as far as the battle was concerned, I thought that, like you said, succinct is a great word for it. I When Kiersey, like first ties him up with greenery, the shrubbery, I was like, wait, is that really it? And then Ercot's like not really sold on it. He's got magic armor, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. they eventually break out and the fight starts, et cetera. Offie has this moment. I liked that uh, Baggy was the one who kind of squared off with Ergot and then was like, he keeps hitting him. He's like, the, it doesn't have the power. It doesn't. They're like, he's wearing magic armor aim for the head (laughs) don't hit his armor and then he's like oh okay again the naivete he's so he's like heart's in the right place but he's not hitting in the right place he's really trying folks um and then the last thing just from that scene the fact that they had replaced the gnome leader of their they had a long word for their leadership group that we're not going to get into with a raccoon was just ridiculous but the fact that Baggy took ownership of her and brought her back with him uh, to his mountainside, I thought again was just I needed more Baggy. That that's it was what... such yeah, it was such a him move for sure. Yeah. So then the wrap ups, I thought it was very feisty and like it made sense from square one that Kiersey and Falcone were going to take control. There's one gnome and one halfling needed for their seat of power. Who better than these two that kind of exemplify what you want and are obviously stand out from from the rest of their people. So. That made sense. The fact that Gerd gets to stay nearby and have all the eggies she wants. 
<laughs> so that made sense as well. And then Baggy heads back to the mountainside. And again, this is where I keep saying, she's like the distant cousin and barely that. She's like, I want to do my art. So they do have that moment. You touched on it earlier with her salt shaker theft. The salt shaker theft, where they find out they're in some city before they get to the two towers. And they see, or Offy sees her sculptures in like this fine jewelry store, whatever. And they tell him that AF, because she signs all her work, that's her initials, is like... That was ridiculous. Basically Banksy, where like she leaves this and she's like an unknown artist, or they're an unknown artist, and they leave this in place of salt shakers to the point where people are like leaving salt shakers out, trying to like capture this artist to do the trade. So... Great. But then because of that, she's like, I'm going to go explore my art. And of course, they have an art grant they can send her on to make three more puns about. Of course. But she's going to write, guys. She's going to write. It'll be fine. I do feel like I was a little bit annoyed that, you know, Falcon had spent so much time trying to tell her that stealing the salt shakers was like not right and blah, blah, blah. And then she basically gets validation for doing the thing that isn't really right. So that yeah. kind of annoyed me, but I just, Agape was annoying. <laughs> and also that them make like 75 AF jokes. Oh like, my God, oh too my many. God. Was One was enough. Way too many. One was enough. Um, speaking of Falcone, you had something you wanted to talk about pre-spoilers that we can now get into post-spoilers. Right. So his like biggest growth, I think, because you said it well before where the target of his ire didn't is what changed, not his personality. But then later when he when he loses his toes, his precious toes, Afi makes a contraption and makes it so he can walk and makes them into something that's like that he can be proud of. And I think that coming to grips with the change his physical change and then just appreciating that he has sort of other qualities than that making him a good person or whatever was cute also also and i totally forgot about this that the reason that he was so upset at the gnomes incorrectly so was because his pigeon was murdered the love of his life was a pigeon who was squashed by a statue. That Gerd, moment when no, we... No, was the griffin. What was, what was the pigeon's name? Pigeons was like Remy or... Remy. Yeah, you got something it. Something like yeah. that. A, that was super weird. Mm-hmm. And I feel like B, they glossed over the fact that it was super weird while calling out that it was super weird. Like whoever discovered it, Afi and Agape or Afi and Kiersey, I don't remember. But they were like, holy fuck, this, should we talk to him about this? This is so strange. And then they just never, like, it didn't get... Well, like, the toes, he had, re- you know, he's just getting over his toes and like he was just getting some confidence back because a lot of a lot of other halflings in that town were like complimenting his new toes. So I think they, they didn't want to like pile on. Bring up how weird it is that you're the love of your life was a bird, which <laughs> it kind of tracks that her, him and Gerd have such a good uh, relationship. That's fair. Um, also, love of your life is Bryce. So how could, how dare you? Maybe he had a really special connection with Remy. 
okay, I mean, fine. <laughs> fine. But like, that's my child. Like, okay, different. Not well, my... I don't, anyway, let's not go down that road. Uh, <laughs> but he did bring it up to the king, I think, when he was placed. He's like, I'm going to make sure that all loved birds are protected or something. Yeah. There, there was some like throwaway comment later on, there but you're right, they, they never actually brought it up to him. It was just weird that it was like there peripherally and seemed like maybe we should address this but then i also am kind of glad that they didn't spend time addressing it very true and to the point of Offie making him the toes like the the gnome gearheads or whatever kind of like started it they like they did the rough work and then it was Offie who spent the time kind of perfecting the design making it more uh pleasing aesthetically like, yes yeah. decorative making sure there's place for his toe rings still yes. like making sure the strappings worked and all that so it was like an invention that Offie can leave his name on that uh, will outlive him. Also, I just realized the two brothers are named off and on. I yeah, didn't... you didn't realize that? No, I didn't. Like, I didn't yeah. that. And the whole time you've been saying Oni, I want to be like, it's Oni, because it's yep. Oni and Offie. Yeah, no, I did not put any. So apparently, I didn't even read this book. But... No, I'm telling you, on the page, it doesn't. Because, like, you can do that. Because you can, I don't want to say mispronounce, but because, like, each reader can pronounce it differently. Like, it's not coming through unless you listen to it. I honestly want you to like go find you have Spotify. Uh, just listen to you don't have to listen to the whole book. Just listen to like one of the chapters with Gerd in it. <laughs> and it's so worth and, and Falcon like it's so worth it. Yeah, I will check it out. We touched on it briefly. We didn't really get into it, but the epilogue where we see time we spend time with Baggy when he goes back to his mountain and he hears the wind, which I thought that was a cool thing. So that was cute. he hears all the different people's kind of cries for help or praises or well wishes, whatever. And then the dwarfs respond by singing back their peace to the world. So again, just another, like th those are the moments that really could have made this world stand apart that we didn't really get into. I feel like aside from Baggy, we didn't really go into the world building aspect. Like I I'd be interested in their dwarves of their world. Um, totally. Yeah. Well, and it does seem to me that they're setting it up decently for another the next book like I don't know what that if it's going to be more heavily dwarfish or what but like like you said before that there's a few characters in this that are throwbacks from the first one so I imagine that they'll have nods continuing you would think so yeah it would be interesting to see I will tell you I will also not be looking into yeah. that <laughs> this is this is going to be a one and done although I would be interested in Interested is a strong word, but I'd like to compare their work separately. Sure. To see if, like, you can see who wrote what. Because they even say in the acknowledgments, uh, or maybe it was in one of the interviews I read, where I was like, I'd have a rough day, like, doing my normal thing. And then I'd get, like, an email from Kevin or whatever with a new chapter. And, like, it really lightened my day, like, being able to yeah. read it. So that, that's something that I just can't imagine doing with somebody. Like, to, to both be able to write one story together. That just sounds so terrible. Yeah. Aside from that, the only other thing I had, which we already touched on, was how bad Offie was at being Ani. Uh, so just so obvious right away. And so bad. Kiersey even tells him when he says, like, he apologizes for deceiving her as he's died. She's like, I know, I've known you since you were both kids. Like, you know, since we were all kids, to be clear. She's not some, like, old cradle robber. And she's like, look, like, I knew it was you. I still had those feelings. And she even mentions, like, watching him work, how it, like, oh, hey, it's, you know, maybe it's not bad being that smart guy or whatever right i appreciated that she admitted that she knew but it would have been more pleasing if she had admitted that she knew before he was dying yeah 
You know what I mean? Like, yes, of course, like from a story standpoint, it makes sense that that's like the big confession happens and yeah, whatnot. But like, it just, it was so obvious that it was like obvious that other people already knew. And why didn't we just start calling him Offie this whole time? Why are we pretending? Right. Absolutely. I did not have anything else. Did you have anything else before we leave? Um, no, not anything additional. We've already, the only other thing I had written down was Kiersey's a Banff, but we had already discussed that. So very true. I will say that the moment where she went into the witch's uh, oven to help her clean it, that was like, that that whole thing was really, yeah, that was weird. And of course, like it was in there so that later when she came back, you could be like, oh, I already know you, you're, you know. But now you're bad because you're racist towards copaloids or something. Right. Or one of the, I don't know. Towards I one. don't remember. But yeah, that whole thing. It was just like the the vampire dentist thing. Yeah. Set up for way too long where I was like, oh, she's obviously going to be burned to death in that oven. And then it was like, no, I couldn't open the door because I was having a foot bath. Like, why was the door closed? I don't uh, know. Yeah, the whole, that whole bit was very unnecessary. Yes. Yes. Which is a little bit of a theme with this story. Yes. So on that note, we will move out of spoilers and moving out of spoilers but before we move away from the book we have to finish up by giving it our grade if this is your first episode we do that based on the D D20 scales so one is bad 20 is good and then we add or subtract a characteristic or ability from dungeons and dragons that we think best fits this story we alternate every episode this episode it is my turn to go first As I said in spoilers, so if you didn't listen, welcome back. There was an event that happened that moved this from a two-star, like a high two-star to a low three-star book for me. I think we spent a lot of time, this this episode seemed like it was going to go long. And then when we just have story to talk about, it kind of wrapped up quickly. Like we spent a lot of time on the characters because I felt like they spent a lot of time on the characters. It was well thought out. But the story itself was pretty straightforward. There wasn't like twists and turns or anything like that you had to get into there's like a lot of side quests that you kind of got lost down and all that so i think what taja said had said before which i will have to agree to because it sounds like she enjoyed it a lot more this does seem like it, it pays to listen to rather than read if you're looking to actually recommend it and unfortunately coming across on the page it just fell a little flat so for me i'm gonna end up giving this book an eight overall which is that high two star point and then i'm giving it a plus one kind of backhandedly for survival and that is what gets it to the three star level of nine as i try to figure that out uh based on goodreads give me half stars anyway that survival is just kind of a joke if you listen to spoilers you'll understand it if you want to save the book and read it you won't but getting a little cryptic with my score this week Whatever, I can do what I want. I haven't seen another person in five days. So uh, overall for me, it's a nine. You know, it's uh, apparently if you listen to it, it's got some good comedy, but comedy is hard to write. We've said that before a thousand times. To get somebody to buy into how how you want it to come across, it's not the easiest thing to do. I would never, ever, ever try it. Um, So good on them for giving it a go. But this one just kind of fell a little flat for me. So a nine overall, that low three-star quality, I would say. Um, yeah, I think all that's fair. So as you mentioned, the the medium with which you interact with this book, I think, makes a huge difference. Reading it, when I started out reading the actual physical book, fell pretty flat. I think that, I think that the humor is decent, but... 
maybe some of the things are overused and I think you kind of have to be in the right headspace to find that type of humor funny in general. So when it's laying on pretty thick, it's maybe not as pleasant. When I switched to the audio version, though, it was far more entertaining. The humor was coming across better. Um, The narrator did a really spectacular job with accents, with all the different characters. And like we talked about, I mean, like the characters, like the the world building and that like it was familiar, but a little bit different. And the characters themselves and their character growth throughout the story was quite impressive and if the characters were crappy and the story was crappy the whole thing would be really crappy a humor aside or good or bad so yeah I'm giving it a straight roll of 10 because I think that there's still a lot of merit to to the story and the the adventure of it and I think that that was entertaining and linear uh yeah there were as we've mentioned quite a few side quest type things that were sort of like why are we doing this? But it did sort of still follow along a general path and it wasn't gorky. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm giving it a straight roll of 10 and then I'm going to add plus two for persuasion by the narrator. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, because I think that that is where it really grew into something that was pleasurable to read um, or listen to. Like the Tudorloo Pooter Noobs, hilarious when said with a French accent when I'm having to read it in my accent not great yeah. um so yeah I was persuaded to like the book more by <laughs> good narrating and like like I said the story was decent so it, all it took was somebody delivering it in the manner that I think that the authors probably meant for it to be delivered with accents and and the jokes came through stronger or as actual jokes <laughs> Um, when I wasn't having to interpret them. So that's a 12 overall. And kind of on that note, because we've compared it a few times now to Gork, like the thing that stood out to me where I'd wanted, like even before with the enjoyment level I had, I still wanted to recognize how much effort went into this story. Like, I guess I should say book because how much they tried to stuff in there where even a sandwich will, you'll completely miss that. There's so many things in there that I'm sure there's plenty more that I missed that, you know, there was so much thought put in and I can understand where they had that meeting and said, this is too much for one person. Like we need to be able to bounce ideas off or like somebody's going to have to take the reins every once in a while. So I definitely wanted to give it credit just as a book because that's, you could have phoned it in obviously and done this very differently, but to do it the way they did it was impressive. It just doesn't necessarily land off the Well, and that's the thing, like there were a few of the blurbs before the chapters, like I'd said, I was focusing more on who said the thing or wrote the thing or whatever, rather than what they were actually talking about, because that's where the the joke was coming from. Like one of them was like Moody Blues and the other was like Tyler Durden, but not, but with umlauts and shit, which they were really heavy on. (laughs) Love those umlauts. But I, I feel like you said that that takes a lot of effort but I also got the impression that they went too hard (laughs) with a lot of those like you can you can pack it in in a less try hard way so that it seems more effortless yeah and that is where I think it didn't land and that is where I feel like the audible the narrated version is more pleasant to the ear (laughs) and to the story and and it's the way that God intended. <laughs> nice. So check that out. It's overall a 10 and a half for us. So it definitely scored higher than I thought it was. 
halfway or more through the book. So I'm glad, I'm glad about that. You never know what these mystery books, you, you like, because a lot of it's a mystery for us where the person selecting it too is like, well, here's what I was thinking. Hopefully it works out. And uh, there's that. So 10 and a half, once again, it was for the last time, uh, No Country for Old Gnomes by Delilah S. Dawson and Kevin Hearn. So it is one of three, the, the Tales of Pell or whatever they call the series. And we did read book two. So take everything we said with the typical grain of salt. And on that note, we move away from the book and we finish with our usual segments, starting with current selection. Taja, what have you been reading or listening to lately? Um, so I've been listening to, I finished Gideon the Ninth, uh, the like necromancers in space kind of thing. Actually really liked that one. Very like weirdly written. And I also feel like it was one of those books that was more easily digestible as an audio format. The narrator does a good job with the different character voices. They're very, a lot of the characters are very snarky. So it was helpful to have that sort of like fast paced rather than me trying to read snark on the page. I have started the second one of this trilogy and I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to feel about it. I was like, after the first one ended, I was like kind of really looking forward to the second one. And now I'm sort of like, what? I don't know what's happening. I feel like I'm pretty far into it. And the things that they're referencing in this new book about the other book don't make sense. Weird. It's like it's like an alternate reality kind of thing, maybe. I don't know if I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> anyway, I'm not sure how to feel about this one. And I'm kind of bummed because the author has a very like strange way of writing that I sort of appreciate. I can't describe it very well, but yeah, she's very it's very weird. And then I took a pause from that because I was like, I don't know what's happening. And I um, started listening to this book called The Wasteland Warlords. It's the first one in apparently a series, but um, it was something that I could just get for free on Audible. Um, it was pretty short. It was during my like end of the year, try to cram in a bunch of stuff. And then I never actually listened to it. But it's basically like if we took today, now times, and something happened and basically D&D was real, like there are monsters and like dungeons and magical items and you can like pick up an item and like read its stats and you can wear a ring and get like plus two to your movement speed or whatever so it's kind of a weird IRL D&D weird but interesting um and it's this brother and these two brothers and one of the brother's wives and they're like they've gone into this zone which is like full of monsters and they're trying to defeat this dungeon boss a pair of basically a boss so that they can get his power because his wife has ovarian cancer and like that would be a way to cure her cancer it's all very weird and i'm not sure how i feel about it but it's fun in that it's like things that are recognizable about now it sort of feels like the walking dead but dnd but dnd and like (laughs) not zombies interesting yeah also they just came across and it's funny because you brought up the raccoon masquerading as a leader in this book and there's this like half cyborg half raccoon creature that they've just like gotten as a familiar basically so it's weird sounds it sounds fun though it sounds like an, a different idea which is cool yeah yeah and it's it's like pretty fast paced like i said it's like only a few hours long so we'll see if there's others that i'm interested in reading afterwards but yeah it's fun and there's... then i'm reading um us against you the second bear town book would you uh so what'd you think of the first one because you're still reading Bear Town? oh was i oh my god i loved it yeah 
I like devoured the last like half in basically like one sitting cried like a baby I mean I've already cried I'm only like 100 pages into Us Against You and I'm like his writing is so spectacular and I know we've talked about him on the podcast many times but he's just words cannot describe how effective he is at playing with your heartstrings talking about things that are so on point about the world and people and so often I have to stop myself and be like, this isn't America that he's talking about. This is another country, one that I would have assumed has their shit figured out better than we do. And right. they don't because humans suck. Yeah. And we're just a plague on this earth. And, and to each and, other. And also suck. This book is, these books are very, Yep. oh man. No, but his just, the way that he can make you feel like you are in Leo's 12 year old brother. Like, I feel like I am in his shoes going through what he's going through and then two sentences later I feel like I'm in Maya's shoes going through it he's just like so good at getting digging down to like your raw nerves and then making you happy that you've gotten there even though you're crying (laughs) yeah that um that yeah that series all three books are are incredible. I think it's the first series I've read that I've said all five books, all three books are five stars. Uh, it's just What's so... the third one? And did you give it to me? No, so I haven't. Okay. You hadn't read the first two and I wasn't trying to overload you with books. But if you're getting close uh, with Us Against You, let me know and I'll mail it up to you. Okay. You can have it next day. That's how close we live. Hey. Uh, but yeah, um, that's, that's Winners. That's the third one. And that will also break you. So I mean, like, I, I don't expect any of his books to not break me. But the thing that a that I love about them is that in all of them it's they're devastating but there's always so much like so many areas where there's hope yeah oh he's just like I I want to tell everybody to read everything he's ever written same yeah yeah same and but there's there's a lot of triggers for for those oh my god yeah it's very it's Uh very intense like you cannot get away unscathed from any of them so definitely read but read at your own risk Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Like trigger one. I'm I'm really glad that you, you like him. Cause I got into it because I was like Frederick Bachman and hockey. Yes. And then it was like Frederick Bachman, the world and hockey's a little bit over there. It's like, Holy shit, man. Well, and that's just something that I loved about the first book and it's happening now in this one too, but like how frequently he's able to relate hockey to literally anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And have it be an accurate, not comparison, but you know what I mean? We talked about it with his other books, how he community builds. And in this one, he legitimately builds an entire community. Actual community. Yeah. And it's like a neighborhood. This is like a fucking town that he has done incredible with. And the way he like jumps around, like in one chapter, he's jumping around from character to character and sometimes from time period to time period ish, more so character to character, like in the same moment in time. And it's like, it should be jarring, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I, he just like he does such I a, think he put, does such a great job putting you in the shoes of every single one of them everybody like, you can see you can see different sides you can like you feel their part their thinking like you were saying yeah. like what they're going through in that moment leo and then his sister maya like even how it's different like, and similar and ugh. totally and 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 i i feel sympathy or whatever i'm feeling for people that i know i don't like yeah like I'm still able to feel those feelings for those people. And he just, I think he's probably quickly becoming one of my favorite authors ever. 
He definitely is one of mine for sure. I don't think I don't I don't think I've read a miss by him yet. Like yeah. you have anxious people, which is another one for yeah. that took me a little bit longer to get into because the way he tells the story is a little bit more complicated. Okay. But even still in the end, I was like, fuck, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck. There's so many times I'm I have to stop myself and be like, this is a book that is not mine. I cannot go highlight every line. <laughs> like, and I'm not usually somebody that will write in a book. The only book that I've done that to recently is Power of One. Yeah. But like there are so many times where I'm like, I need to like there's there's been times when I've taken a picture of the page and sent it to Barry and been like this line. I mean, feel free. So with those copies, feel free. My copy of Winners, it happened to be a first edition autograph. So you can't do it to that one. Okay, that's fair. No, but I'm not. I don't fuck around with other people's books. That's well, no, fair. you just have to buy me a new copy. That's oh, okay. If you okay. wanted to mark it up. You just have to buy Got it. Got it. Okay. That rule always. Maybe I'll just like doohickey it for you and give it back to you. <laughs> like, what did you think of these doohickeys? Yeah, I got some books recently from thrift books. I'm not going to tell you what they are because they're going to be part of my surprise books. But I got into them, and like usually I buy the excellent or the whatever, you know, because yeah. they're pretty cheap. And this one had like a lot of highlighting, and I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Wouldn't like that. That was we did one of those where my copy somebody had written on, and I was like, oh no, don't do that. So too. I'm curious though to find out because of what this book is if it's going to be things highlighted that align or misaligned with my thoughts so Thanks. obviously I'm giving you the copy that doesn't have as many <laughs> I appreciate that so that was our podcast within a podcast about yes and about Frederick Bachman <laughs> yeah. Yeah. welcome welcome to the show you've all been here before we love him uh, so for me my the one book I read uh was a Christmas gift from Sully and it was a nonfiction. It was titled The Worst Hard Time, The Untold Story of Those Who Survived the Great American Dust Bowl by Timothy Egan. So Sully loves the nonfiction. It's not really my Jimmy Jam, as we know. But <laughs> I've been trying to put credence over other people's books because my TBR is way too long. So when somebody gives me a book that they think I'm going to enjoy, I'm really trying to be better at getting to it because Sully had given us the power of one. And it oh, was uh a show on it months and months later that we realized how good it was so sometimes people do know believe it or not anyway it was interesting uh, there's a lot about the dust bowl that i didn't know mm. that's just a part of american history that i don't really focus on so it really got into the details about how we got there what they went through as we got there as we were living through it and then how we started to repair the damage that we caused so it was interesting i thought it was told very well in that it was about real people, but the way he wrote it kind of turned them into characters. Sorry if you're listening, you 90-year-old people from the Dust Bowl. But it was interesting how he, he made you feel more for them than just yeah. a textbook would, obviously. Yeah. And then Sully was saying, when he bought the book for me, he reread he re one chapter which is titled Black Sunday, which is just about the storm that came that had so much dirt in it. The dirt was like two miles in the sky. It was just blocking out the sun as it rolled. And it was miles long. That's and it crazy. just rolled through the entire country. I think it uh, came from the north all the way down through Texas. And they touched on it how it wasn't until it happened once early on where dust from the Midwest from. So this is it was focusing on the uh, Texas Panhandle, Oklahoma, uh, a little bit of Nebraska and a small part of Colorado. Dust from there settled in New York. Uh, Boston settled in ships out like hundreds of miles out in the ocean. And then it kind of went away and people stopped believing that the Dust Bowl was really happening, even though it was still happening in the Midwest, it just wasn't affecting them. And at one point, this guy uh, who became like the first guy of soil government agency, whatever the fuck it was, 
like timed his speech to Congress because he knew another one of those was coming. Yeah. As he timed it properly, the sun was blotted out by the dust again, once again, coming. Dramatic. To be like, hey, look, it's still happening. So yeah, a lot of interesting stuff in there. It did take me longer to read just because nonfiction, even though it was told well, um, you know, it's still not my Jimmy Jam. So it did take a little bit while, a little while to get through that. But I am happy I read it because, again, it was just something I've never really knew much about. That's not yeah. a part of our history that I was interested in or that we focused on. I feel like throughout school, we focus so much on, like, the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. And eventually you get to the Civil War that we don't really touch on, like, kind of more of the modern history, like the 1900s, yeah. which I think would affect us more. You know, you I'm- think like, we want to talk about that shit because that's right. the stuff our parents and grandparents went through, which... At least I would find more interesting because those are stories I can relate to. So here's your uh, soapbox about teaching and uh, school systems and educators are great. I'm not blaming it on them. Please don't take that the wrong way. I love all of you that are listening. Anyway, let me get off that soapbox very quickly. And then, uh, like I said, I've been taking a lot of naps this week, but I returned to Jim Butcher and Harry. So I'm on the fifth book of that. It's called Death Masks and I'm about a hundred pages in. So I will be able to talk to you about that one next time so we move on from that we go to random recommendation this is one i read a while ago but it's kind of topical because when we were together at christmas fest we started watching some old firefly there's only one type of firefly and it is old firefly there but, it is. Um, this is one that i had written down a while ago because they do have books out there um the, i've read a couple of them the first one i read was firefly the magnificent nine by James Lovegrove. I think there's two different authors that do it, but I, I've seen James Lovegrove on most of them that I've come across. And this, the reason I'm recommending this is if you do miss Firefly and those characters, I think he did a really great job of capturing them and having them come off the page where you don't ever guess if this is Jane talking or Mal right. talking or whatever. Like they are all there. They have their, it's, it's just kind of... Um, I don't know. It's like comic books for comic book movies. Like it gives you more to the story. It gives you new adventures and you kind of, you can picture it very easily because you know what you're looking for. Yeah. So there's plenty of those out there. Um, Check them out. They're all under the Firefly title and then they have their own little side story there. So if you liked Firefly, if you're into that kind of stuff, I think they did do a good job with their writing of that. It's a really cool universe to be in. So it makes sense that they'd make some additional stories right yeah if only uh fox wasn't terrible at killing everything looking at you the passage anyway hey so on that note we finish with what is on the next podcast and this was also from christmas fest so a lot of tie-ins to that nern gifted us some duplicate fairy boxes that she had come across and this was the book inside which looks really appealing even though we have no idea anything about it the book is called bonesmith by nikki pow pretto Hope I'm saying that right. As you know, we do not do pronunciations well. Taja is doing a great job, Vanna Whiting, the book for us that no one will ever see. Maybe we'll put it out there. It's we such won't. an amazing, like I don't ever get those like really fancy editions. And this is a very fancy edition. And I, I feel like I need to treat it with like kid gloves. I do wish it was one of those things where like they tell you in advance or like you could like sign up for certain stuff, you know, because like yeah. that's stuff that's cool. And there's a lot of them that like I wouldn't. I'm not going to be interested in. Like yeah. our friend Joe says, she's like, I've cut so many because I don't want to miss out the ones that I want, you know? Yeah. 
So, uh, again, it was Bonesmith by Nikki Palpretto. This little excerpt that I stole from the internet is Gideon the Ninth. Sound familiar? Taj, you just read it. Sure does. Or listen to it. Gideon the Ninth meets the Game of Thrones White Walkers in this dark, swiftly-paced, young adult fantasy about a disgraced ghost-fighting warrior who must journey into a haunted wasteland to rescue a kidnapped prince. Cool. So it is the first in the series. We'll see how it goes. It is... Totally random, but, you know, Nern uh, was gracious enough to mm -hmm. give us those fairy loot crates, which was a super cool experience for us. Yeah. And uh, moving on to what I just said, or going back to what I just said a couple minutes ago, we really want to try to focus when people give us things yes. to and get to them quickly. So uh, that will be on the next episode. We'll be back in two weeks. We will hopefully no longer have COVID and we can get back to our regular, regularly scheduled life and program. So on that note, this has been the 66th episode, double success, of the ABC Pod at the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. Keep reading.